Hello, and welcome to this audio edition of Philip Pusher's program notes for upcoming concerts by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I'm Richard Caparola. Concerts by the CSO on Thursday, January 30th through Tuesday, February 4th, feature guest conductor Sir Andrew Davis and pianist Paul Lewis. The program includes the first Chicago Symphony performances of two works by Sir Michael Tippett, Little Music for String Orchestra, and Preludium for Brass, Bells, and Percussion. The other works on the program, Piano Concertos Numbers 1 and 4 by Beethoven. Here are Philip Pusher's program notes on Beethoven's Piano Concerto Number 1, a work lasting about 37 minutes. This is not Beethoven's first piano concerto. We're usually taught that the B-flat major concerto, known as number two, is really number one, but that is not entirely accurate either. Sometime in 1784, when Beethoven was only 14 years old, he wrote a piano concerto in E-flat major. It is the sort of sprawling, self-important, and florid music that teenagers often write, assuming that they compose music at all, and it is a greater testament to the young Beethoven's apparent virtuosity as a pianist than to his incipient talent as a composer. Although the full score is lost, we still have a copy of the piano part, including indications for orchestral cues. The concerto was reconstructed by Billy Hess and performed for the first time in 1943. Jumping ahead nearly a decade, we come to the first works in the genre that Beethoven wished to acknowledge, a concerto in B-flat, probably begun before 1793, and the C major concerto on this program, which was composed in 1795. Both works were published in 1801, but in reverse order. Although Beethoven played both of these concertos in public on several occasions, he was intensely self-critical, and when it came time to publish them, he could think of nothing good to say about either one. One of my first concertos in B-flat, and therefore not one of the best of my compositions, is to be published by Hofmeister, and Molo is to publish the concerto in C major, which indeed was written later, but which also does not rank among the best of my works in this form. By 1801, Beethoven's style had changed dramatically. He recently had begun a third piano concerto in C minor, one of the works with which he would establish his primacy in the new century. From our viewpoint, the third piano concerto does not mark a critical advance over the first two, but for Beethoven, every step forward was important and hard won. Later generations, in fact, would lump all three concertos together as early period works, although that does not mean lesser Beethoven. Beethoven apparently was more interested in the C major concerto than he let on because he composed three cadenzas for the first movement. All three are obviously later efforts, apparently dating from 1809, the time of the Emperor concerto, his fifth and last piano concerto. By then, Beethoven realized that his worsening deafness would soon force him off the concert stage, and he wrote out definitive versions of the cadenzas that he previously had improvised. It's not difficult to understand why this music still held interest for Beethoven as late as 1809, because it is impressive material used with great mastery. Perhaps inspired by Mozart's great C major concerto, which he undoubtedly knew by the time this piece was written, Beethoven works on a larger canvas here than in the B-flat concerto. He also adds clarinets, trumpets, and timpani to the orchestra. 
Beethoven begins quietly, having already learned that a soft opening is often the quickest way to capture the audience's attention. The music is robust and energetic despite the dynamic, and it soon bursts forth with typical Beethoven fervor. There is some characteristic horseplay with the choice of keys. The second theme begins in faraway E-flat, and Beethoven borrows from Mozart the unexpected touch of allowing the piano to enter with music the orchestra has not already presented, although unlike Mozart, he never returns to the piano's new theme. The slow movement is longer than the corresponding movement of any other concerto by Beethoven, but here he has learned how to move through slow music so that it never drags. The extra length is all bonus. The leisurely coda includes a poignant conversation between the piano and the first clarinet. A look through all the Mozart and Haydn finales will not produce a jazzier ending than this boisterous rondo full of pranks and surprises. The good time goes on for nearly 600 measures without seeming a moment too long. Program notes by Philip Huscher on Beethoven's Piano Concerto Number no. 1. And now on to Beethoven's Piano Concerto Number no. 4, a work lasting about 34 minutes. On December 7, 1808, a Viennese paper announced a concert to be given by Ludwig van Beethoven at the Theater an der Wien five days later. All the pieces are of his own composition, entirely new and not yet heard in public. Although Beethoven's publicist fudged that last detail ever so slightly, the list of world premieres lined up for one evening is astonishing. Both the Fifth and Sixth Symphonies the choral fantasy, and this work, Beethoven's Fourth Piano Concerto. Those who didn't like too much new and unfamiliar music at one sitting surely stayed home that night. To round out this substantial program, long even by the generous standards of the 19th century, were three movements from the Mass in C, the Concert Aria, a Perfido, and Improvisations at the Keyboard by the Composer. There we sat, from 6.30 till 10.30, the composer J.F. Reichardt later recalled, in the most bitter cold, and found by experience that one might have too much, even of a good thing. What should have been the greatest night of Beethoven's career was ruined by too much music and too little heat. The performances were no doubt wretched because rehearsals had gone badly. For one thing, Beethoven had so annoyed the members of the Theater an der Wien Orchestra the previous month that they now insisted that he sit in the anteroom whenever he wasn't needed at the keyboard and wait for the concertmaster to check with him between movements. Beethoven was so desperate to see this concert take place that he agreed. It promised him both wide exposure and a nice profit. Not surprisingly, there wasn't enough time for the orchestra to learn so much challenging new music. Reichardt remembered that it had been found impossible to get a single full rehearsal for all the pieces to be performed, every one of them filled with the greatest difficulties. The choral fantasy, which Beethoven composed at the very last moment, inexplicably thinking the concert lacked a blockbuster finish, was scarcely rehearsed at all. When it broke down completely during the performance, Beethoven started it over from the beginning, making a very long evening even longer. 
By all reports, Beethoven was a terrifically exciting pianist. He played with spectacular technical facility and tremendous emotional expression. According to his student, Ferdinand Ries, he cared less about missed notes than character and expression. Mistakes of the other kind, he said, were due to chance, but these last resulted from want of knowledge, feeling, or attention. When Beethoven first stepped out on stage the night of December 22, 1808, it was to play this concerto in G major, and surely most members of the audience were surprised that he went straight to the keyboard and started to play. Anyone who troubled to buy a ticket to this concert would have known that a concerto begins with a long orchestral exposition that gives you all the tunes before the soloist begins. But Beethoven had begun to examine every convention he inherited, to rethink every choice a composer could make. He realized that the only way to call greater attention to the soloist's first line was to do something unexpected. In his violin concerto, first performed several months before, he had made the wait almost interminable and then sneaked the violinist in so that if you weren't paying attention, you missed it altogether. And here he caught his audience completely off guard again by starting with the piano. It's a brilliant trick, so perfectly handled that it has hardly ever been imitated. And Beethoven quickly follows one master stroke with another. The orchestra enters six bars later in the unexpected key, of B major. The most remarkable thing about this bold and original opening is the sustained quiet dynamics beginning piano and then falling off to pianissimo as if Beethoven were sharing confidences. A tone of moderation and nobility persists throughout the first movement, even in the most vigorous and brilliant passages. This too was unexpected. The movement is dominated throughout by a gentle version of the same four-note rhythm with which fate aggressively knocks on the door of the Fifth Symphony. The German theorist Heinrich Schenker, who always doubted that Beethoven had that image in mind when he wrote the symphony, wanted to know if the concerto depicted another door on which fate knocked or was someone else knocking at the same door. The slow movement has inspired many interpretations, Orpheus taming the Furies is the most familiar one, although Beethoven evidently was thinking of nothing more dramatic than the music itself when he wrote it. This is a conversation between the strings and the piano. The strings, playing in staccato octaves, begin assertively. The piano responds with rich, quiet chords, an answer that raises questions of its own. On it goes, back and forth, the piano steadfast, the strings gradually weakening. Sensing victory, the piano unleashes a brief, rhapsodic cadenza. Everyone finally plays together, sharing the same chords and the same rhythm. Over the last chord, the piano poses a brand new question to which Beethoven responds by launching into the finale without a pause. Our sense of boundaries is vague. In retrospect, the entire slow movement sounds like a long introduction to the finale. That's exactly the case in the Waldstein Sonata, written two years before. The finale itself doesn't behave like one at first. It's the only one in all of Beethoven's concertos that doesn't begin with the soloist stating the main theme, followed by rigorous confirmation from the full orchestra. Here, Beethoven opens softly with the strings in the wrong key. The piano takes the situation in hand with a brilliant virtuosic new theme, and the rest of the movement is swift and thrilling. The orchestral sound is enriched by the introduction of trumpets and drums, and the solo part effectively combines lyricism with bravura and elegance with wit. 
After the concert, Beethoven boasted that, in spite of the fact that various mistakes were made, which I could not prevent, the public nevertheless applauded the whole performance with enthusiasm. Reichardt particularly remembered the new pianoforte concerto of immense difficulty, which Beethoven executed astonishingly well in the most rapid tempos. There's no record of how much money Beethoven made that night. His days as a celebrity performer, however, were over. His hearing had recently gotten much worse, and it turned out that this was the last time he would appear in public as a soloist. Program notes by Philip Husher on Beethoven's Piano Concerto Number no. 4. I'm Rich Caparola. Thanks for listening.